0: Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionise your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. And welcome back to the third in a series of three episodes looking at the impact of psychology on leadership, what we can learn from psychology and how we can apply that in leadership in business in general. And again, I'm going to be looking at four different areas today. The first one is about the obedience to authority and some of the issues it can cause and based very much on experiments done in the 60s by a famous psychologist, Stanley Milgram. The second area I'm going to look at is built on Daniel Goleman's initial work on emotional intelligence, but then uh, he moved into flexing leadership styles. I'm going to be looking at the importance of looking at your leadership style to suit both the person and the situation um, an area I really uh, think is hugely valuable and I use a lot with my clients when I'm working with them. Third area is looking at behavioural psychology and conditioning and although some of that can be quite old fashioned uh, it still has a certain value in the box of tricks that we can apply in business. Then finally we're going to look at the topic of cognitive dissonance. When your beliefs actually are not congruent with your behaviours or outcomes and you know how that can cause problems when we have dissonance we look to resolve that and again that can cause some challenges. So let's start off by looking at uh, the area of obedience to authority and in many respects uh, ties in with a very dictatorial, authoritative style of leadership. It's basically do as I say and get on with it kind of, uh, kind of approach, which in many organisations can seem old-fashioned, but it's still out there as a, as a leadership style, and we need to be mindful of people's uh, tendency to be obedient to authority. As I was saying, this is based very much on some initial work by Stanley Milgram in the 60s, I believe it was, where he pulled together a group of 40 male subjects to take part in an experiment, and as often with psychology experiments, they weren't totally clear what was happening. But they were told that they were going to be in a room with an authority figure uh, who was wearing a white coat, who had sort of add to the authority, and that they were going to be given instructions to a subject in another room who was taking particular learning tests and if the person got things wrong then they would be administering electric shocks of a higher and higher level. Now this this research is still incredibly famous in fact there was a film uh, done on this not long ago actually which I keep meaning to watch and I've not watched it yet but it's had a big impact because it was very unsettling and what was found was that when the authority figure was in the same room as the person, one of these 40 people who'd be invited to take part in the experiment, that um, when they were you know, uh, going through the, the, the learning test with the subject who wasn't in the same room, so they couldn't see their reactions to it, um, they were told when, when somebody got it wrong to administer a shock. And they were pushed to give them increasing shocks. And the the person who was being given the shock to were, were actors and they were actually making out that they were in, in some pain but still the, the 40 people were still administering these shocks and it, what it was found was that actually two-thirds of the people taking part were administering the highest level of electric shock which was deeply unsettling. So what do we take from this? Well, we, What we take from this is that people if they are put in positions where they believe there's an authority figure that's commanding them to do something then they can often do things that are poss- very probably um, not in keeping with their own values that they feel maybe unethical but they almost take away their own power and they take, the res- take away their own personal responsibility and the responsibility is seen to lie in the hands of the authority figure. So they're doing it because they think, well, the authority figure is the same doing and that authority figure has, um, you know, taken responsibility. So I, I just carry on and do it. So incredibly shocking and, and many of us listening to this might be thinking, I would never do such a thing. But often when we're put in certain situations, it's surprising how our own behaviour can be different to how we would believe it to be. So when we apply this to the business world, it's worth being mindful that um, you may uh, have people in your business, leaders in your business, who are adopting a more authoritative style and might be directing people to do things that are potentially not um, in keeping with the organisational values. They may be unethical. They may be uh, impacting on other people in the organisation. And so we need to be mindful in business that this kind of behaviour could be going on and that people could be falling in line with it. And I mean, one of the things that's really important to do, therefore, is that we obviously we train our leaders and we educate our leaders who go into leadership roles. Uh, We obviously educate them that that kind of commanding style has a place, but it has to be done in a particular way. We also... Educate our employees from a cultural perspective that you know there's an open culture, and if there is behaviour going on with people who are senior to them, they are comfortable raising this with whoever it might be, with the HR department, with somebody more senior, with the owner of the company, if it's a smaller SME business. But we need to be basically we need to be mindful of the fact that people's behaviour can be inappropriate when they are given instructions even though they believe those instructions to be unethical, unfair, inappropriate. And so actually being aware of that and uh, making everybody mindful of that is really important. I was touching then on commanding leadership styles and this moves me on to the second area of this particular podcast today which is to look at flexing leadership styles. Now one of the previous ones I was talking about Daniel Goleman who made emotional intelligence very very uh, I guess popular and brought it to a lot of people's consciousness but what he also looked at as well um, is the importance of leaders using their emotional intelligence to be able to flex their leadership styles and he identified six leadership styles i think uh, we could look at others and it doesn't have to be particularly fixed on this i just like the general principle that a leader doesn't have to adopt a particular style it isn't about when you move into a leadership role starting to fix on a particular style of doing things actually i think the intelligence comes from being able to shift in and out of different styles depending on the situation depending on the person that you're dealing with So the six styles in Daniel Goldman's model are the Affiliative style, which is looking more at the emotional reactions of people. You may have differences of opinion. You may need to get people to collaborate when there are differences of opinion. So it's using that ingenuity and that emotional intelligence to understand what's going on with people and their emotional reactions. The second style is a Democratic style of leadership. Um, not really want to be used at times of crisis, but could be used in situations where you really want to get people to participate. You want to get the opinions of others and you want to come at a democratic view on what you're going to do going forwards. The third style of leadership is commanding or authoritative or directive style leadership. And I was talking about that in obedience to authority. And yes, there are great downsides to this, as there are with all of the six styles, if you use them inappropriately and in the wrong situation. But there are certain situations in a crisis where you may want to be using a commanding style more and authoritative and there isn't the time to be democratic and, and talk to people about the problems they have. You've just got to move and it's a crisis situation. And obviously we've been seeing that very much over the last 18 months with the pandemic that's existed across the world. The fourth style of leadership in Daniel Golden's model is the pay-setting style of leadership, which really is um, more of a, you know, it's tracking a plan, and it is making sure people are on task, getting things done. Very accountable style of leadership, and again, it's got its place. And very much, there's um, there's a number of my clients who have looked at the traction model over the, over the years. Um, those kind of models, those kind of business models, which are very much more task and accountability orientated can benefit from the pace setting model. What we need to be mindful of with the pace setting model is it can create a lot of stress and pressure on people If you and you can burn people out if, if you are continually employing that. That's why I say the ingenuity in this comes in adapting your leadership style across different uh, situations and with different people. The fifth style of leadership is the visionary style of leadership and often this is said to be a really effective style and um, one of the more popular styles with employees because it is about a leader having a vision of where they're going a strategic vision sharing people uh, you know that vision and engaging people with that vision as well and then the final style in the model is a coaching style which means that you work alongside your people, you help them develop new skills, you're there to support them, you can ask questions, you can probe, get them thinking. And again, a great style to use, particularly if you're looking at skills development of people on something new to them. But what you take away from this particular model, from Daniel Goleman, who was a brain and behavioural psychologist, is that um, using your Emotional intelligence it's really effective as a leader to pause sometimes in situations and think hang on what's going on here what situation am I in what um, what's going on with the people and what and be more conscious in this style that you choose to actually lead people through that on to the third area for this podcast episode today and it really is about the behavioral psychological approach which had great prominence probably more around the sort of 1950s um but still has a place um the, the sort of the practices of conditioning are still used have some validity i mean behavioral psychology had a big impact on schools because it's very much built around punishment and reward to drive the kind of behavior that you want um and also i mean uh, Skinner, who is a very famous psychologist who looked at operant conditioning and very much about punishing. There was a lot of experiments done with rats, rats actually, and then applied to human behaviour, but it was about punishing and picking up on behaviour that was inappropriate or wanted. And as I say, this is quite old-fashioned, and it almost fits in with a more transactional style of leadership, which is, again, seen as a more old-fashioned style of leadership, but I still feel that um, conditioning behavioral psychology has a place in modern business, in modern leadership. Uh, maybe not so much from the punishment side, but behavioral psychology is very much based on punishment and reinforcement. So you would punish inappropriate behavior, but you would reinforce the kind of behavior that you want to see on a regular basis. And there is. Um, really famous uh, research by a psychologist called Marcel Lasada, who looked at the Lasada line and the benefits of using a lot of praise and encouragement and appreciation of your people when they do things appropriately and he the the, the Lasada line is basically a, a ratio of at least three to one where leaders are reinforcing good at behavior rather than picking up and being critical on behavior that um, was not appropriate or mistakes that have been made. In fact, it said that optimal team performance, you need to be pushing more towards sort of six to one kind of ratio. So, even though um, some of the behavioral psychology practices can be seen to be a little old fashioned in modern business, I still feel there's definitely a place, particularly for a reinforcement. And I say the Lusada line is a really great example of that. So, for you, as if you're a leader listening to the podcast episode, Being really mindful to reinforce and pick up on good behaviour. On behaviour that is in line with your values that you have in existence for your organisation. And so doing that on a regular basis and getting other leaders in the organisation to do the same if you're the head of a company. So finally, let's look at the, the fourth area for today's episode on psychology and leadership, which is about cognitive dissonance. This concept was well it originated from a psychologist called Leon Festinger and the idea really here is that we get dissonance or we become unsettled if our beliefs and our outcomes stroke actions are actually not that um, there's not a connection between those so we may have a particular belief and we act based on that but the results that we get are not in accordance with what we expect in our belief system. That that can cause dissonance. This this dissonance can come across in a number of ways. It can be that. It can be that the results we are seeing in business aren't actually congruent with the beliefs that we uh, had in the first place. And also we might find it in other ways where we are um, I guess made to shift our beliefs or told to shift our beliefs when actually our, our, our typical behaviour is is not um, is not in keeping again with that. So you're going to see this where thinking and behaviour and results just don't really come together. There's there's not congruence there. Now. Where we can, I mean, some examples where we may say that just brings to mind something with a, an, an existing client where they, there was a, a general culture and, and beliefs about overtime almost being part and parcel of your sort of package, your pay package. I've seen this in the past in corporate world, actually, where I've had to make shifts in people's behaviour in relation to overtime where there was a, a general long-standing belief that overtime was part of your package and overtime was just a basic way of doing things and it was an accepted way of doing things, whatever. So this company I'm talking about, there was a change to the overtime arrangements and there was some concern that it would cause cognitive dissonance because dissonance, the belief system in place was that this was expected and what have you. So what had to happen with this to get the shift in behaviour was also explain as well um, why this was being done, so that people's belief systems could be shifted as well. This is much harder to do; it's harder to shift belief systems than it is behaviour. But very often we've got to look at both sides of the coin if we are not to experience cognitive dissonance either individually or collectively. So, as leaders in businesses, um, you know, for businesses generally. What do we take away from this concept of cognitive dissonance? What should we be aware of and how should we address it? We'll say first of all, we may need to change. Pe- if people's belief systems are one thing and their behaviour is different, we may need to get them to change their behaviour. And often when we introduce new value systems into an organisation, then we might be looking to reinforce, that's actually picking up on the Lasada line example I was talking about, in the third area today. We may want to continually reinforce behaviour that's in line with values so that we over time start to get a congruence. We don't have dissonance for people. They start to accept the values um, as as being a belief system but their behaviour is also in line with it as well and it's been reinforced reinforced over time. So we need to look at that. We need to look at changing behaviours and changing beliefs and sometimes it is really taking the time to inform people to explain why there is a change in thinking so that they can get on board with that um, change in thinking and then their behaviours are more likely to come in line and be consistent because if you've got an old standing belief system in an individual or in a company and you're trying to change behaviours without doing that then there is going to be a problem there because they're going to be asked to behave in a way that is creating dissonance for them because their behaviours are creating unease, making them unsettled because their thinking is different to that. So be mindful of this in business that sometimes we can experience differences between belief systems and thinking on the one side and behaviours and outcomes on the other and we need to do the work to make sure these are more congruent. And that brings me to the end of this third uh, in the series of applying psychology in leadership. And I hope you're finding the episodes really of value in terms of just having time to reflect and realising that psychology, as has been found in sport very much over the years, uh, can have a massive impact on the way that we think and behave in business too. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.